You're listening to First Church Charlotte. Praise the Lord, everyone. It is so good to see you all here today. And it's so good to feel the presence of the Lord in this house. It has been a very, very busy uh, week here at First Church. As many of you know, uh, we had the uh, tragedy of losing one of our uh, beloved young uh, mothers in our church. Uh, B'nai tragically passed in a car accident. And I, I just want to take a moment here, if you guys will indulge me. We've had two tragic car accidents this year where we've lost uh, people from our congregation. Uh, and so I, I just need to put out a public safety announcement here that I need you guys to slow down. <laughs> um, I, I, I've heard of more tragic accidents this year than I've heard in a while. And uh, I don't know if it's because we spent a year not driving and now we're driving again. I don't know if we developed bad phone habits and now we're driving with bad phone habits. I don't want to hear anything from my wife on that. Um, because, you know, some of us know how to do it and some of us don't. No, no. And again, I say no. So, uh, anyway, uh, yesterday, the event that happened where we uh, paid our respects, celebrated the life of B'nai, uh, I want to ask you all to remember the family, the Shosola family and the Terralong family. Uh, they have suffered a tragic loss. I want you to pray for Michael Terralong. Uh, he is still re rehabilitating a traumatic brain injury. Uh, pray for their two-year-old baby boy uh, who has lost his mother. He's surrounded by love, yes, uh, but he has, uh, he, he, needs, he, needs, he needs our prayers. And if you remember that family and pray for that family, amen? Uh, so that is, it was, a, it was a tragic, but it was a beautiful day, beautiful funeral. Uh, the largest funeral our church has ever hosted. There were there was literally no seats available. Uh, we had set up seats. We put as many as we could put in here. We've set up seats in the foyer all the way to the doors. Still couldn't get people in. And we had people outside in their cars streaming the service. Um, it, was, it impacted the community that much. And they afterwards came back to our gym and they uh, used our facilities as they should. They are us. Um, and they provided all the food they hosted. This family not only, you know, went through this, but they hosted all of their community. They hosted their friends. They fed them all, uh, used all of our facilities. And when they were done, they, they left the gym, the kitchen, perhaps cleaner than it's ever been. I mean, they, they went beyond commercial levels of clean as just a way of saying thank you. So I want to give a shout out to that family. I'm preaching today from this subject, Doors to Destiny, Doors to Destiny. And I want to apologize at the beginning uh, for the dramatic nature of it. Why? Uh, preachers oftentimes will talk about destiny as a way of, of piquing your interest, of attracting you. I do it. All preachers do it. If you were preaching, you would do it too. You want to attract people because you want them to consider a subject seriously. 
You want them to see the depth that is in the story. You want them to understand the weight of the subject. And so oftentimes you will choose words that will at some way convey the weight of it. And we will, think, we will take subjects and talk about, uh, for example, doors to destiny. Now, having said that and having admitted that that is how I am organizing my thoughts, I want to first of all say to all of you that when you live this out, it will not feel dramatic. It will feel like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It will not feel as though an angelic choir is following you around. It won't even feel like the first church praise team is following you around. It'll feel like you are the praise team because indeed, if you're doing it right, you are the praise team in your world. I might need to take a pause and preach on that for a little while right there. I'm glad to have uh, Nathan Mellix as our worship pastor. He does a great job. It's a tremendously hard job. He does a great job. We're blessed to have him. But you know who the worship pastor in your world is? You. Smile at your neighbor. Say, you best get a microphone. Go ahead and tell him. You best get a microphone. You are the worship director and the worship pastor in your world. You need to take it seriously. You say, I don't feel like worship and all the more reason for you to gather your thoughts and lift your voice and say, God has been good to me. I woke up this morning in my right mind, mostly God has been good to me. I was able to pay the rent. I was able to keep the lights on. God has been good to me. I have strength in my body. I have hope in my soul. I have the word of God in my hand. God has been good to me. Uh, we use titles like Doors to Destiny because I want you to understand the weight. I have um, a few questions I want to ask you today to serve as portals for you to consider the heaviness of spiritual destiny in your life, the serious nature of spiritual purpose and spiritual destiny in your life. And these, these questions I will ask are reflective questions. They are questions you have to answer. I cannot answer them for you. Uh, your friend who is slightly more spiritual than you can't answer them for you. Your parents can't answer them for you. These are questions you will have to answer some portion, some uh, part of your, your life, your journey. And so I think of these questions as portals to spiritual destiny because it's like you go through these doors to figure out who you can become in God. I don't know who you can become in God. I would like to think you could do great things for the Lord, but I don't know who you can become in God. But I know this, that if you are following after Jesus, that means you are living a certain kind of life. And uh, the cleanest, clearest, most pure vision of that, I believe, is the Lord inviting all of us to live in the same manner he did, to do what? Deny the self and take up our cross, not his cross. None of us can carry his cross because none of us are a perfect sacrifice. All of us are marred by sin. None of us can be the Lamb of God for sinners slain that takes away the sins of the world. I can't carry his cross. But if I think I don't have a cross, then what I'm saying is that Jesus is a 
formula for me, not a way of living, not a way of being in my world. And what Jesus invites you to do is to live a less selfish life and through your choices strive to make your broken world whole by giving yourself to make it whole. That's why he says, deny yourself. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and then follow me. If you follow as a plan to better self, you have not denied the self. If you follow as a get-rich-quick scheme for the elevation of self, then you have not denied the self. You are followers, but there is no cross in your life. This is the heart of it, where we live our lives a certain way, where it's not just Christ as fire insurance, although he has delivered us from judgment, and can I have an amen? It's not just Christ as favor plan, and I want to say to all of you, more than anything, I desire the favor of the Lord. It's not just Christ as cultural artifact, and I do want people to think of me as a serious, striving Christian. It's more than that. It's Christ as a way of living in my world, as a way of walking my journey. Christ as a way of influencing my family, not just putting people in heaven or hell. How would we know? We don't even know if we're going to heaven or hell. That's why we need to repent every day. Can I have a big amen? That's a God thing. Not Christ as a way of uh, keeping America, America culturally pure. Oh, come on. It's not that. It is much more. It is an invitation to a way where I must decrease and what? He must increase. All right. So uh, I have, I think I've got you on board there. Four questions. Now these are, as I mentioned, reflective questions. Oftentimes as a preacher, I will preach in an inspirational style where an idea will build on an idea and I will rally some and I will preach a little bit and it'll sound, uh, have, well, let me say it'll have a certain rhetorical sound. It'll sound more like, say, Peter on the day of Pentecost. Peter preaches in that kind of uh, momentum style where he's using connection and rhetoric and repetition and he's using conviction and he's saying uh, you are the one who crucified him it was your sinful hands that crucified him and if church folk had been there on that day they'd have been like mm, come on with that take your time take your time if church folk would have been that day there on that day and, and you'd have heard Peter say and this same Jesus whom you have crucified has been made both Lord and Christ. He'd be like, my God. Mm." That's that kind of preacher style. You see what I'm saying? I have, uh, as almost all of you have, read every word that Jesus said multiple times. Jesus did not teach in that type of rhetorical momentum, inspirational style. He did not do that. Now, it's not wrong for Peter to do that on the day of Pentecost. Peter has a subject. Jesus is the subject. 
So it's natural for them to have a different communication, perhaps details here and there. Besides, different gifts, different personalities have a different manner and way of being. But I want you to see that had you been so graced to follow Jesus, you would have heard him asking questions like uh, these kinds of questions that I'm going to be asking you here today. Number one, this is the first portal to destiny. Anything you could do for God, anything you could be for God is on the other side of this door. Here is the door. Who is going to be my authority in my life? All of us live answering this question. All of us settle this in some manner for ourselves. Who is going to be the authority in my life? Where are my values going to come from? Typically, people get their values, number one, uh, from their own decisions about what something means or something doesn't mean. They think about it and they make themselves the final judge. Now, I'm sympathetic to this. This is the way of Adam and Eve in the garden. This is what Eve did when she said, I want to eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil so I can decide for myself and think for myself, and I no longer have to be spiritually submissive to a higher power. I'll decide for myself. Uh, I understand this, but there is a danger in being your own authority that is shown to us in Jeremiah chapter number 17, verse number 9. Let me read what the prophet wrote. The human mind is the most deceitful of all things. It is incurable. No one can understand how deceitful it really is. The danger of being your own judge and arbiter is you can apply your intellect to self-justification. And then your ethical and spiritual standard becomes whatever I can convince myself of. This is a very, very dangerous path, but it is the most common path for humanity. The second is, I would say, similar and feeds on it. And it is, if not using oneself as the authority, they use the world as the authority and whatever the world says is valuable, they think is valuable. Whatever the world says is worth having, they think is worth having. I'm always amazed uh, talking to middle-aged people, and more than a few, who realize at some stage in their middle age that they did not really live intentionally. They didn't really ask themselves what they wanted to do. They asked themselves what was cool among the group they hung out with. And if a career was cool among that group, then they pursued it. And now here they are in their middle years, and they realize they had this huge investment in something they didn't even really, it, wasn't, it didn't even fit them. It was just whatever uh, was, you know, kind of attractive at that time of, of their life. They, they got their values from, from the world. And so if the world says that's the path, then that's the path. And you let the world set your authority. Let me read John, 1 John chapter number 2. Verses 15 and 16, this is the warning from the apostle on this risk of letting the world set our values. Don't love what the world offers and values. Those who love the world don't have the Father's love in them. For what the world values, and what, what does the world value? Physical gratification, greed, prideful, self-centered lifestyles. 
he says, these things, they do not come from God our Father. So on one hand, my authority can be myself, whatever I think, whatever I can convince myself of, whatever justification fits for the moment. The second thing is the values of the world, whatever the world says is value. Both of these things ultimately are traps, and they will end your spiritual potential. They will limit your ability to become who God said you become. They will abbreviate your divine destiny. There's a better plan. Rather than myself, rather than the world, I need to let God's word be my final authority. And can the church say amen? God's word is not built upon the things that this world's value is built upon. The world values looking good, feeling good, and having all the goods. That's what the world values, uh, appearance, pleasure, sensuality, and materialism, and wealth, as though those things are what makes us happy. If you had those things, you would be happy. If you looked good, if you experienced a lot of indulgent pleasures of the flesh, uh, and then if you were rich, then you would be happy. Well, there is this huge experiment that goes on in every generation. And because of the manner of media, you get to follow the people who seem to have it all. They're the people who look good. They're the people who get all the best opportunities to, you know, live by the flesh. And they are rich. And are they particularly happy? Do they live fulfilling lives where uh, relationships last and addiction never rears its ugly head and suicide never becomes a problem? I would say if you believe that, you have deceived yourself and you are living a very shallow life. If wealth made people happy, then the wealthy of us would be happy. If it saved us from delusion and addiction and ruin, ruinous living and damaging relationships, uh, we would be done that with those things. But unfortunately, we are struggling as a society and as a generation in spite of your, uh, how shall we say, the, how much of the world's blessing you have. Now, as believers... We want to live a different kind of life. We want to have a different basis for living. I don't want to value the things of this world. I don't want to value the lusts of my flesh. I want to live my life based upon what God's word says is value, valuable. That must be the final authority in my life. Anything less is a manner of abbreviating my destiny. But Jesus said, if you continue in my word, he goes on to say, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Here's the thing. We often quote that passage, the truth will make you free. You'll see it very commonly. Uh, but there's a problem with that. The world has its truth and your friends at school have their truth. And you must ask yourself the question, uh, is the world's truth what's going to set me free? Uh, is my friend's truth going to be what sets me free? 
uh, is all subjective truth the same thing? I, I would suggest to you it matters where you're getting your truth from. But if you will abide in God's word, can I have a big amen from the church, folk? If you will abide in God's word, if you will continue in his word, then you will know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Somebody say yes. The Lord warns us about the values of this world. 1 Samuel 16 and verse number 7, we see the image of the prophet trying to choose an anointed man for God. And the Lord speaks to the prophet and says that uh, the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Even in the New Testament, the writers, uh, the apostles, uh, they warn us against the pleasures of sin that are very short-term in their, their, their being. These pleasures of sin only last for a very, very short time, Hebrews 11, verse 25. And finally, in terms of wealth and the things of this world, Jesus says in Luke 12, verse number 15, real life is not measured by how much we own. We must be wise to the deception of our hearts that lets us believe that our life consists of things that it actually does not really consist of. So the first question we ask ourselves, the first thing we reflect upon is what's going to be my authority? Where am I going to get my values? Let me take you to the second door you're going to have to check behind, and that is this question, how will I live knowing that I am going to die. Now, I don't mean to depress you today, although I hope you are mature enough in your life that you're able to have serious questions of the soul. This is not a question for the flesh. Your flesh will hide and try to uh, pretend the question doesn't exist. Uh, but your soul will ask questions too. It's not just questions of the flesh. Questions of the flesh are simple. They're like this. When are we going to eat? What's her phone number? Questions of the flesh. But your soul would ask questions of you too. Now, there's nothing wrong with eating, as you can see. I do my share of it. And uh, she definitely gave me all of her phone numbers. Can I get an amen from the blonde seats over here? She gave me all her phone numbers. I have got her digits. I have so got her digits, you wouldn't believe how much of the digits I've got. Anyway, moving along. Your question will, your, your soul will ask you questions there, just a different type of question. Here is a soul question. Are you ready? How will I live knowing that I will die? 1 John chapter 2, verse 17, the world and its desires will pass away. The world, say it with me, the world and its desires will pass away. But those who do the will of God will live forever. How about 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, verse number 18? We focus our attention not on what we can see around us, but on what we cannot see with our eyes for everything. Somebody say everything. Everything that we see is temporal and will only last for a short while. But what is unseen is eternal and will last forever. I and our church uh, buried one of our young mothers yesterday. 
Benet was a beautiful person inside and out. She was talented. She was entrepreneurial. She was intelligent. She was clever. Uh, she was the life of the party. She could make community. Uh, she had cooking uh, channel on YouTube. She worked as fashion model at New York Fashion Week. And to the surprise and uh, horror of all of us who knew her and loved her and her family, uh, her days were short and she was taken from us and we mourn with her family. But we rejoice and believe that she, through the grace of God, and the merciful love of God is in the arms of God, and we trust Him with her. That said, how would you live if you knew that you were going to die? We all are going to die. It is the nature of our life. It is the nature of this being of flesh that we inhabit. Let me remind you, you do not have a soul. You are a soul. What you have is a body. Is that fair? Maybe I should say it again in case you were daydreaming. You do not have a body. You do not, let me say that in a little bit clearer way now that I've got myself confused. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. What you have is a body. And if any of you have uh, looked in the mirror lately, you might have noticed that there is a definite decline <laughs> to the relative beauty of this body. And uh, if you're of a certain age, and I'm none of your business old, your knees will begin to hurt you, and you go to Home Depot and look at the knee department, they don't have any knees that you can buy to replace the ones you've got, and your back hurts you, and uh, everything that used to work without thought uh, and now aches. Uh, let me stop right there. I'm getting you all depressed, and uh, it's a sad, sad reality. And go ahead and laugh, you young, beautiful suckers. You're going to get old, too. And I'm going to still be alive. I'll be on my walker. I'll be like, <laughs> I look better than they did at 50. <laughs> Talk to you later. Third door for us to walk through. Third question for us to ask. So our first question was this. What is going to be my authority? Don't say you're going to choose yourself. Don't say you're going to choose the world. Let the word of God be an, the authority in your life. How will I live knowing that I will die? We all of us need to answer that question. Don't live for the flesh. Don't make your whole life about something that's going to end with your heartbeat. Number three. Will I choose what is easy or will I choose what is best? So let's just be honest. A lot of us can live lives that are basically random. Uh, we don't really try. We don't really work. We kind of just get up and look around us and connect with people with similar interests. And then the sun goes down and we're like, whoopsie, how did that happen? And our school years passed and woo, nobody really enjoyed middle school and high school wasn't much better and college is a breath of fresh air, thank God. And now college has passed and, uh, you know, one thing led to another and I have 14 children. God bless you with 14 children. And now you're just working for your children and you're, I, I'm just saying it goes so fast. Time flies, it flies. That sense of time in our life, it seems like, you young people, it seems like 
uh, graduation's never going to get here, and then it does, but I promise you this, life speeds up. It speeds up almost as though a cruel trick is be, has been played upon you. And when you're a little kid going to elementary school, it's like, man, the end of the year, summer's never going to get here. And when you're a parent dropping your kid off at elementary, it's going faster. But I promise you, when you're a grandparent and you're waiting to pick your kid up after elementary school, your grandkid up, I promise you, it's like the blink of an eye. All of us choose every day whether or not we are going to cling to what is easy or, what, or whether or not we're going to cling to what is best. Now, I know I can live easy, but that's not the best person I could be. That's not living worthy of the gifts that God has placed in my life. I'm not just preaching to those of you who uh, would admit you need to do better spiritually, and I thank God for your good heart to admit such a thing, and I thank God for your willingness to join with other believers and seek to know God better and serve God better. Uh, I also want to speak to those of you who have been serving God long enough where the temptation for you is less sin than it is self-righteousness. Now, don't act like you're not like that. You basically would be saying you're an alien and not human uh, to admit that. And although uh, some of you I perhaps could consider you an alien, uh, most of you should admit there comes a point in your life, there comes a point of serving God where the temptation for you is not going out and living crazy anymore. Those youthful lusts have dimmed somewhat Perhaps you saw behind the magician's curtain, and you saw it was not ever quite as fun as you thought it would be, but more on that later. Uh, you, saw, you see through it, but even you, I'm here to tell you, even after you've been serving God for 20 years, even after you've settled your doctrine, even after all of those things, you still can choose what's easy over what is best. In fact, almost every believer, every church in America could use revival to stir us from ease in Zion toward biblical Holy Spirit mission. Every one of us could do that. And when we choose what is best over what is easy, it has consequences. There's things that I need to stop watching and stop reading. Some of them, because they're not of the kingdom of God and they don't represent the values of the kingdom of God, yes. But some of them, simply because they're a great big waste of time and I don't have an endless amount of time. But if I'm going to say, I want to live my life by what is best, by not, not simply by what is easy, it's going to matter how I and what I do and how I watch and how I read and how I spend my life. I'm going to have to, and let me give you an example of that, Psalms 119, verse number 37. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Somebody say worthless. Turn my eyes away from worthless, worthless things. I'm choosing what is best, not what is easy. There are some relationships that perhaps I need to place in a better perspective. They take too much from me. I'm not talking about ministry relationships. I'm not talking about people that you are uh, the gift of God in their life. You are a mentor to them. You are a help to them. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that uh, they know as much truth as you do and they choose a different way. 
Does that make sense? They know as good as you do what they should, but they intentionally choose the wrong way, and they justify. That means they're acknowledging themselves above the Word of God. It's not a submissive. It's not a repentance. It's a justification. I'm telling you, you might need to change some of those relationships because they would be choosing what is easy, not what is best. Exodus 23, verse number 2, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. Third, I need to think about how my money reveals my value. Uh, You can say that your values aren't revealed by your money, but I, I would disagree. And it's not just my opinion. I could actually quote scripture. Imagine that. Your money shows you your values. Your time shows you your values. If your money's not right, your heart's not right. Not my idea, it's a biblical idea. Matthew 6, verse 19, don't store up treasures here on earth where they can erode away or may be stolen. Store them in heaven where they will never lose their value. And can the church say amen? What are we doing? We're choosing what is best, not what is easiest. We're choosing what is right, not what is easiest. It's going to matter how I treat people. Why? Because treating people kind with the fruit of the Spirit manifest will be the single hardest thing we do in our life. The hardest thing we do will not be being faithful to church. That can be hard. Some of you want to sleep in, and I am some of you. (laughs) Um, uh, You know, that's not the hardest thing you'll do. Building a career is not the hardest thing you will do. Finding a husband or a wife is not the hardest thing you do. Being nice to the husband or wife you find, that's much harder than finding them. No matter how crazy or dysfunctional you are, there are two people who fit. But can you love each other? Can you get along? Oh, my Lord, it's getting quieter and quieter. Pretty soon I'm going to take a nap all by myself. The hardest thing any of us do is treat people right. And here's the thing. Even church people struggle with treating people right. Even people who have the fruit, the gifts of the Spirit, I should say, working in their life, struggle to treat people right. 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 16. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We're not looking at people like that. We're going to strive to see them through God's eyes. How about Philippians 4 and 13? I'm going to quote this because it's the hardest thing that we do, being nice to people. I can do everything God asked me to do with the help of Christ who gives me strength and power. Musicians, you can come. I'm almost done. This is the fourth and final question I have for you to consider. Uh, This reflective style of speaking is very much the style of Jesus' words when you read them in the New Testament. Things for us to consider, applications for us to make. And before I give you number four, let me just review. Number one, what is going to be my authority? Number two, how will I choose to live knowing that I will die? Number three, will I choose what is easy in my life? or I choose what is best in my life. That is, I could preach a whole message on that because it all comes down to that. It is so easy for us to choose the easy, and it is so difficult for us to choose the best. And there's layers to this problem, whether it's in the manner in which 
I take care of my own body or the manner of which I invest in my relationship with my, my wife and my children or the manner in which I prefer my brother and my sister, I have to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I'm not looking for the easy way. I'm willing to do the work of the soul. I'm not looking for a shortcut, get out of jail free card here. I'm willing to do the work of choosing a, a straight and a narrow way. Not simply a stamp I can put on my life and be done with it, but a, a way that challenges my heart and humbles me and makes me pray through and makes me repent. Can I have a big amen? And makes me get right with God and makes me humble my heart and my life. I am not choosing the easy. I want to confess to you that even as a pastor, even after years of ministry and years of uh, having the duty, the work, and the gift of being forced to live my life in the Word of God. Sometimes, uh, preachers, we can kind of, you know, talk about the pressures of having to preach a lot. I tend to preach around 100 messages a year, which is a lot. Thank you very much. And uh, it is the pressure of that. But let me tell you, there is a gift with that, too, and the gift of being able to live your life in the Word of, of the Lord. Uh, as, as a way, as a, ne a necessary daily path and journey. Um, I have spent my life in doing this. Uh, even from youth, I uh, was committed to this. And I've, I've done it, but I err if I think that uh, the temptation now is over and that I am always going to choose what is best. Even today, it's, it's the temptation of the easy the temptation of just enough to get by or excellence. One of the things you'll hear if you come to any of our team meetings, our, our pastoral team or our production team, and one thing you'll hear a lot us say to one another is choosing excellence. Don't just do good enough where people don't complain. Try to say what's the next thing that will move the needle. What's, what is excellence? Not what is good enough, but what is excellence? And we striving to put that culture in our, our teams. But let me tell you, before it gets in our team, it has to get in us. We choose what is best, not what is easy. I did not come to this altar and give my heart to God because I thought it was an easy way. I came here because I thought it was the best way. I don't try to pray because I think it's easy. I do it because I think it's best. I don't discipline this flesh. This flesh is always looking to get out of control. Whether it's the, the, the very physicality of, of the, the lusts of our flesh, whether it's of uh, the things of the flesh, whether it's just the life and trying to get discipline over myself and trying to live intentionally and trying to have a character to match God's investment. And that's harder than you think it is because God gave some of you gifts, but we haven't. Let me, let me rephrase that because I'm the first one. God gave some of us gifts that will never shine without the character to put in the work. And we have the gift, but we don't have the character. We have the ability, but we won't work the lonely hours to do, have character worthy of God's gift to us. And then we get jealous of someone who matched the character with the gift. And we hate them because we secretly know we could have. We could have. We could have seen some version of our gifts manifest. Some version of our destiny. Some version of our spiritual calling. But our character never matched our gifts. 
I'm not just talking about turning away from sin. I'm talking about putting in the work. I'm not just talking about, you know, turning off that movie you need, don't need to be watching. I'm talking about getting up early and making time in your life for things that matter. It's not just the no, it's the yes. It's not just the negative, it's the positive. Number four, and I'm almost done. This is a question that is like a door to your destiny. You're going to have to ask this question to become who God said you could be. I've given you three already. Here's number four. Am I a blessing to my future self? Is my life being lived in such a manner that when I look back, I'll like that guy? Or am I living my life in such a way that I'll look back, I'm like, oh, Jesus. This is a question we all answer. This is a door we all knock upon and we rattle the latch and we get our courage up. We peek beyond the door and we look to see what's inside that echoing hall of what could have been if. What I could have done if. What I could have accomplished if. Am I a blessing to my future self? Jesus asked questions, heavy questions of the soul. And then he looked at you and asked you to think about it. What, Matthew 16, verse number 26, Jesus asks, what profit is there if you gain the whole world and lose eternal life? What can be compared with the value of eternal life? What does a man give in exchange for soul? Are you living as a blessing to your future self? Or is, let's, let's, let, me, let me pick on these beautiful young people we'd have down here first, okay? We're going to assume most of you guys are in your teens and you're so stinking good looking, I want to slap all of you, just so you know. And I want all you suckers to know that I can still whoop you all. That's what I got to say. I can't catch you, but if I catch you, I can whoop you. I love our young people. I love your potential. And I just want to say, I don't just love you when you're good and I'm proud of you. A church that can only love good kids is worthless. A church that can only love good kids is a church that needs to be afraid a millstone is going to be tied around his neck. Because they offended the weak. Anyway, moving along. I, I love all of you. I, I believe in you. So, I know this seems impossible. But one of these days you're going to be 30. Your mom is going to slap you, boy. And if she needs any help, <laughs> the Bible says a fence must come, and I just want to be a blessing. <laughs> I love you, dude. Good young man right there. Not perfect. Good. Goodish. That's a young man right there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, and you're going to look back. And there's going to be people your age who made a series of good decisions. And their life is going to look a certain way. And there's going to be people in your group who made a bunch of dumb decisions. And for many, many reasons. They were weak. They were wounded. They, were, they didn't have certain advantages. They, they didn't really 
you know, ever pull that rip cord and pop a parachute and grow up, their life's going to look very different than people who don't do that. It's going to happen. But here's what I want you to see. You can live your life in such a way where the future you looks back and said, look, I wasn't perfect, but I, I got some big things right. I got some big things right. And what I want for all you young people is to get those big things right. I'm not saying you're going to do everything right. My Lord, you ain't better than me, and I didn't do everything right. Lord knows I'm more spiritual than all you suckers. And I didn't do everything right. My wife did, but I didn't. Anyway, I'm just, I love you. I love you. I love you. Live your life in such a way that when you look back, you like you. And when you need to make a decision, imagine yourself 30 years old and the club is not cool anymore. It was cool till about 24, unless you're a little bit kind of, you know, on the immature side. Then it's cool until you're, you know, 28. Some people never grow up. They'll be in there 50 years old swinging that big. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have said that, but I'm talking to them and they love real talk. They love real talk. You want to bore a kid, give them a cliche. They're like, oh my God. Give them real talk. They're like, huh. But I, I'm telling you, if you're struggling with a decision, ask yourself, is the 30-year-old you going to go look back and say, oh, that was smart? Or is the 30-year-old you going to look back and say, I will slap you right now. Do not even do that. Do not even do that. There's going to be cars you need to get out of. I'm just going to tell you straight up, there's going to be cars you need to get out of. Because there is a non-zero chance that the people in that car could give a large portion of their life to the criminal justice system. And you don't want that. I'm telling you, it's horrible. Get out of the car. There's going to be boys mm, who you need to say no. Now, I'm not trying to act like you're the purveyors alone of true righteousness and purity. I know y'all like boys too. It's not just boys like girls. I know. But I'm telling you, your future self, be, be a blessing to your future self. They, they're so nervous. These poor kids down here like, my God, stop looking at me. <laughs> Let me read Philippians chapter number three, verse number seven. Paul said this, I once thought all of these things were so very important. Now, let me tell you how it feels looking back at decisions you made you're like 30s forever it's like 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 was shouted out here in a most interesting manner 30 is so old but i'm telling you let me tell you how it feels to be 30 let me tell you how i'm going to give you prophetic insight and all you ancient folks will be able to say my god is the truth there's gonna your 30s gonna feel like this when i look back it was all this stuff i thought was so important that's what 30 feels like. Let me tell you what 40 looks like. Let me tell you what 30, 40 feels like. When I look back, there's this junk I thought was so important. I just Let me tell you what 50 feels like. I just turned 50. Don't say it. I will slap a <laughs> This is what 50 feels like. There's this bunch of junk I used to think was important. Let me tell you what growing up spiritually feels like. The apostle shows. I look back and there's a bunch of stuff I thought mattered and it's it just junk. Let me tell you what matters. This is the apostle telling you, 
Now I consider all those things worthless because of what Christ has done for me. Yes! Paul says, everything else is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul says, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. I've, just, I, I've let go of everything else. It has no more value to me than garbage. garbage. Why? So that I may know Stand with me all across the house. Lord, I pray for your people today. We have asked heavy questions of the soul here today because we recognize these are the questions that are linked to our destiny in you. These kind of questions are portals through which we pass toward our destiny. And if we short circuit ourselves, if we somehow self-limit ourselves, it's going to be because we were trapped in the muck and mire of things in this life that had very little value, but they obsessed us. They obsessed us. And we never could get to destiny because we were trapped on the weak side of who we could become in you. I pray you would work with us. I pray you would have patience with us, oh God. I pray that you would awaken within us a realization of our need. And I pray you would challenge us into newness of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to open up this front right now. If you have a need, I'm going to invite you to step out. Let our pastoral team anoint you with oil in the manner of New Testament scripture. Uh, If you don't want to come to the front you want to pray where you are uh, that's fine uh, I'll try to move among through some of you and some of our other pastoral staff may do that so if you want to get our attention or step in the aisle we'll be able to pray for you wherever you are the reason why we do this right now is it's not enough to hear the word we need to be vulnerable to God can I have a big amen we need to have the touch of his spirit if you've never been baptized in Jesus name we've already baptized five people in the 9 a.m. service here today five people went down in Jesus name in the 9 a.m. service already today. We are ready to baptize you um, unless we've run out of robes. (laughs) And if we have, then we'll figure something out. But I want you to know we're here to serve you. If you've never received the gift of the Holy Spirit and you feel like where you are in your life right now, you need a touch of the Spirit. If you'll just wave at at me as I come by, I'll, I'll lay hands on you right in the service and I'll pray for you. And the Holy Spirit can feel you right in this service. It's not difficult, it's not strange, it's not hard. You can have the testimony of His presence in this very service. So a lot of things are going to happen right now. Our worship team is going to lead us to the next level of praise and worship. I want to invite all of you strong Christians to help us call upon the name of the Lord. If there's someone near you and it's appropriate, you want to pray with them, that's fine. Let's believe right now that God would work in this house by His power and by His Spirit. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, 
Come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.